we return with the end of the chapter that we read, Mark chapter 16, and I would like to look in particular at the two words in verse number 7, where it says, But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter, that he goes before you into Galilee, there shall you see him, as he said unto you. But in particular those two words, and Peter. And I know that I've preached it in the rough scene already, but I think that this is a sermon that you will find I return to quite frequently, because it is a sermon that could be entitled, Lest We Despair. And it is of tremendous importance to me personally, those two words. And I hope over the years that it will become very precious to you as well. Now to find out why those words, and Peter, are there, we have to go back a little time. Scholars are fairly certain that Mark didn't write the Gospel without prompting from somebody else. Because John Mark was a very young man, and he speaks of the things that he saw as if he had seen them with his own eyes. But they know that he couldn't possibly have been everywhere where he speaks about. So scholars are absolutely certain that the man who prompted him and who gave him sort of the eyes a witness account of those things that took place was Peter. And when they compare the writings of Peter and the writings of John Mark, they are pretty certain that the Gospel of Mark was written by Mark, but at the prompting of Peter. So we find that it is interesting that none of the other Gospels contain those two words. And so we believe that that is further proof that it was Peter who <coughs> was prompting John Mark. Because all the others said, but go tell his disciples that, we will, that they will see me in Galilee. But Peter seems to have insisted on putting in those two words that go tell his disciples and Peter that he goes to Galilee. So we look this evening just for a few minutes to see why those words and Peter were so important to Peter. Why were they written in letters of gold upon his heart? So that whenever he heard this story being told, he always insisted that those two words be included and Peter, go tell his disciples, and Peter. We'll go back then just a little while to after the feast of the Passover, when Jesus was in the upper room with eleven of his disciples, because a Judas Iscariot had gone out into darkness to betray him. And Jesus took his eleven disciples and went out of the upper room, down the few steps onto the ground, across the brook Kedron, which ran past beside them, and took them on to the gently sloping side of the Mount of Olives, to where the Garden of Gethsemane was. Now the Garden of Gethsemane was a place where Jesus and his disciples often went. We don't know who owned it or how they came to be able to use it, but we do know that they often went there for peace, and to get away from the crowd to have a little time to themselves. So they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And this time, although the disciples were often used to go in with Jesus into the garden, 
he surprised them this time by asking eight of them to remain just at the gate of Gethsemane and he asked Peter and James and John to accompany him into the garden. And then when he had walked with them a little while he asked them to sit down and to wait for him there. And he himself went on about 30 paces further on to pray. Now we must remember that when Jesus went into the garden of Gethsemane he was a man. He was a man on this earth and he was subject to all the weaknesses and all the frailties as regards tiredness, loneliness, hunger, thirst, all of those he was subject to. And we do know that this time he was subject to sheer loneliness. It wasn't a test for the disciples. Jesus genuinely wished for these three close friends of his to be near him for company when he went into the garden of Gethsemane because he knew that his time was coming near and he had to pray and establish contact with his father. So he wanted Peter and James and John especially to be close to him, to give him, as it were, a encouragement in what he was doing. And we know that he went ahead and that he prayed and that there was only 30 pieces between himself and them that they sadly put a much greater distance between them by falling asleep. So when Jesus came back, he found the three of them asleep. And he found the three of them asleep three times. Three times he went on into the garden to pray, and three times when he came back, he found the three of them asleep. Now Jesus didn't show any anger or any recrimination, he didn't blame them in any way, but he did say, what, could you not watch with me one hour? And he especially mentioned, he said, he said, Simon, sleep at thou. Could you not watch with me one hour? Now the three disciples must have been hurt about this, but especially Peter would have been hurt, because Peter was the leader. And Peter was a strong man. Both physically and mentally, Peter was a strong man. Peter was a fisherman. And he had been used to being up all night often. When the fishing was good, he'd be up all night. And it was nothing for Peter to stay awake all night. It was nothing for Peter to go maybe for days when the fishing was good without any sleep. And he sort of almost prided himself on his physical strength and endurance and the way that he could do things. But yet, here he was, when Christ, his beloved master, really needed him, when he needed his stamina, his courage, and his endurance, Peter let him down. Christ said, what, could you not watch with me one hour? As they came out of the garden, after Peter let him down in there, Judas and his band of the people from the chief priest, chief priest's office, came and Judas <coughs> pointed out who Jesus was. And the people, that's the soldiers, the guards, came forward to lay hands on Jesus. Now the disciples had been for some time aware that there was going to come a day when they would have to defend themselves because they knew that there was trouble coming. So they had hidden two swords on their curtains 
so that when trouble did come, they'd have something with which to defend themselves. So this time Peter had one of the swords, and as soon as they went forward, since the soldiers, the guards went forward to try and grab hold of Jesus, Peter pulls out the sword and lashes out wildly and hits the servant of the high priest, the man called Master, hits him on a glancing blow on the head and cuts his ear off. Now we know that Jesus' the very preciousness of Jesus' sacrifice at Calvary was that he came willingly and that he was willingly giving himself up for mankind. And this business of putting up a struggle was not in the plan of salvation at all. Jesus had to be seen to give himself up willingly. And Peter was, as it were, spitefully against that. So Jesus saw that if there was an unseemly struggle, if, he was, if it looked as if he was being dragged against his will to Calvary, then the very preciousness of the whole sacrifice would be lost. So he immediately reached forward, touched the ear of the high priest's servant, and healed it, and calmed Peter down, and calmed the disciples down, and gave himself willingly to the guards who took him off to the high priest's palace. Peter knew that he had spoiled in some way his beloved master's plan. He knew that he had done wrong, he knew that he shouldn't have done that, so Peter was very, very down about it. But Peter followed afar off. He followed afar off to the high priest's palace. And we know that John, one of the other disciples, went in to the high priest's palace and Peter followed afar off. In the courtyard there was a fire, a fire of coals, we are told, that the soldiers had best to keep themselves warm. And Peter drew nigh to that fire to warm himself because it was by this time three, four in the morning and it was very cold. And as he was going in, one of the serving girls says, you were also with this man Jesus. And Peter says, no, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And he made his way to the fire. But as he approached the fire, another girl says to him, you were with Jesus, we saw you. And Peter says, no, I, d I don't know what you're talking about. And he moved off around the fire. But the people around the fire say, you sound like a Galilean. Your accent certainly sounds as if you're a Galilean. You must be with this man Jesus. And Peter swore. Peter blasphemed. And Peter denied that he knew the Lord Jesus Christ. With oaths and swear words, he said, I know not this man this man and immediately the cock crew and Jesus Christ who was in the inner room looked out and caught Peter's eye and looked on him again without recrimination without anger without saying I told you so but with a pathetic sympathetic look of pathos he looked at him and Peter caught his eye, and Peter broke down, he went out, and he wept bitterly. We know that whatever else Jesus felt at that time, to hear Peter swearing would have been bad, to hear Peter blaspheming would have been bad, 
But to hear Peter, his faithful servant, calling him this man, this man, his beloved Saviour, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, being referred to as this man, to whom else shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, he had said a few days before. And now he's calling him this man. And Peter, it was all in that look that Christ gave him. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. We're not told where he went. We're not told what his thoughts were. But we do know that he must have been despairing. Because he honestly thought that this was the end. He honestly thought that never again would he know another happy day. He thought that he would never again hear the beloved voice of his master. He would never again see the beloved face of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was full of remorse. <coughs> now of all sadnesses, of all things, to bite the way at a man, remorse is the most grievous. And we pray God that nobody here will ever feel the pains of remorse. All the time that Peter was away, that last tender look of the Lord Jesus Christ haunted him. And we know that he must have been despairing about the rest of his days. It doesn't tell us, but I'm sure being a man like Peter, the thought of suicide would have gone through his mind. And we know that he would not be able to face himself. Peter the strong man, Peter the leader, Peter the man who had said to Christ, although everybody else will forsake you, yet will not I. Peter, of all people, had denied the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only could he not face himself, but he could never again face the others. He had been the leader, and yet he could never again get back in amongst the others. We know that when he heard this message that the woman gave, that this must have been like a lifeline to a drowning man. Because although they, the women, didn't know really what they were saying, they were only passing on the message as they got it, and they didn't see the tremendous relevancy of it to Peter. They thought it was just a message to the disciples and to Peter in particular because he was the leader, but Peter knew what it meant. Peter knew that this was Christ speaking to him. Peter knew that this was a special epistle, specially for himself. And we're quite sure that when he heard Mary Magdalene and the other Mary and Salome telling the story of how they met this man at the graveside, and that he said to them, go tell his disciples and Peter, that he would stop them there and say, tell me, is that the exact words? And they would say, yes, that's the exact words. Go tell his disciples and Peter. And he would ask another one again. Now tell me in your words. Until he finally got through to him. That that was the message that the Lord Jesus Christ had sent him. Go tell his disciples and Peter. And he would know for a fact. What he speaks about again in his own epistles. That he was begotten again to a living hope because the Lord Jesus Christ had sent him a special message to say that he remembered him. We know that Peter's feelings towards others would have been different from that day on. Peter from that moment would have known what Christ meant when he had asked him how often should we forgive our brother 
should we forgive them seven times? And Christ said, seventy times seven. And Peter was restored because he knew that Christ remembered him. But let us look for a few moments at the Lord Jesus Christ who did the remembering. Who can tell the depth or the tenderness of the love of Christ? But we are shown it to a fair measure here. Jesus had suffered. We've heard often how he suffered on the road to Calvary, how he suffered on the cross. We're not told much about what he went through in the grave. But we do know that he had gone further into the meaning of sin than any other soul out of hell has ever done. We do know that he met the powers of hell head on. And we do know that he had wrestled the power of death out of their hands. We do know that he led captivity captive. That he robbed death of its sting. That he robbed the grave of its victory. And all the time that he was so taken up as it were, speaking with respect, with his hands full, doing all those things. There was no change in the direction or the tenacity of his love. As his eyes closed in death, he remembered Peter. And when his eyes opened on resurrection morning, he still remembered him. For death and the grave could not do then time and the glories of heaven have not done he loves us he loves us still as he loved Peter he understands our failure he understands us when we fall he picks us up when we fall he knows our waves of ingratitude when we don't even think of them. He knows our indifference when we find it a chore to come to church to hear his word. He knows about us denying him when we fail to witness for him when we should. But through them all, Jesus loves us with a love that will not let us go. If Jesus loves us with that kind of love, should we not, as professors of the love of Christ, witnessing for him, should we not open wide the mercy doors and have a little compassion on each other? Have a little friendship towards each other because of the example of Jesus Christ. Now we're our own personal lives. I said at the beginning that this sermon is a, an antidote to despair. You will find that as you go through life, there are struggles. There are times when you feel down. There are times when your unbelief seems to be getting the better of you. But no matter what happens, once you entrust yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, nothing can erase you from that love. 
because the Lord Jesus Christ has put that love into your heart for Christ himself so that there it is impossible for any of his people to be lost because he has instigated the love in your heart for him it belongs to him and when you have that love in your heart you cannot be forsaken we are as we go through life commanded to wait upon the Lord and by waiting on the Lord we are able to master life we are able to endure in whatever circumstances we're in because of the Lord Jesus Christ we never become victims of life we are masters of it because of the love of Christ that is in our hearts we do not get carried away with anger that will make us blind our judgment in things we do not get carried away with frustration that would make us as well hit the panic button and do something dark we do not get discouraged so that we will show the white flag of surrender we will go on waiting on the Lord even though he kills us as Paul says no matter what happens because of this love in our hearts for Christ which he has put there we can go on and not even questioning the Lord's dealings with us a Christian never says why me a Christian never takes God to the bar of judgment and say why did you do this to me a Christian says even so Lord because it seems good in thy sight waiting on the Lord is the Christian's work because of the resurrection that has given us a foundation to build on and because we're waiting on this second coming that gives us the height in our lives because we are waiting on the Lord to come to us we accept the presence with no bitterness because we are looking for a better kingdom we're looking for the kingdom of Christ where there is no more pain no more sorrow no more tears hunger and thirst are unknown and we pray with sincerity and with a full knowledge of what we're doing when we say thy kingdom come we are waiting for the judgment day but we are waiting with happiness and joy because who is going to do the judging the Lord Jesus Christ our friend so that instead of being frightened instead of it being a message of doom it's a great liberating message because the Lord Jesus Christ is the judge the world today has its pressures on everybody and has particular presence, uh, pressures on the Christian but as the psalmist says I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord 
in the land of the living. The Christian sees and knows that no matter what comes into his life, everything is alright because of Jesus Christ who cannot forget us. Those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's a Christian. And it's all because of Christ. That Christ cannot forget us. And we praise the Lord that because he has put that love in our heart, we can't forget him. My friends, those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, know that this is right, know that this is true, and they never are tired hearing it. But what about you who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, who doesn't yet realize that what we're saying applies to you, and that you're hearing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you a hope? If Christ came back tonight, if Christ appeared in clouds when every eye will see him, you can't sort of hide away at the telly, you can't hide away in your room and say, I'll see him tomorrow. Every eye will see him. As the lightning goes from the east and to the west, so every eye will see the glorious, majestic coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't know when he's coming. He could be here tonight. Are you ready for him? <coughs> Maybe you mean to come back to church next week. Christ could be here before then. And you still don't know him. But the glorious message is that as long as you are on Mercy's ground, you can meet with him. And he will never, never turn anyone away who comes to him. You have nothing to offer. Nobody had anything to offer Christ because what he had done was a way far and beyond the bar. Anything that we could ever dream of giving him. And the good message is that if you come to him tonight, he will receive you and accept you as his own. And when he comes back on clouds, because we are told that he cometh with clouds, as a sign of his majesty, as a sign of his power, as a sign of him coming to rule the world and to judge the world, then when he comes you can be looking for him as a friend. And instead of being frightened and asking for the hills to fall upon you, you can be gloriously looking for him because he is your friend. Now we don't want people to get carried away that this is just a sermon. My friends, this is the truth. This is what the Word of God says. There is no argument about it. So if Christ comes tonight, will he have a message for you? Will he know your name as a friend? As he knew Peter. Look at the hope you have. Peter had denied him three times. And yet Christ said, go tell his disciples and Peter. We can substitute any name you like in the end. 
You can substitute your own name there. As long as you come to Christ before it's too late. And it is too late once you die or once Christ comes. We don't know which is coming first. But it is as straightforward as that. That once you die, you have no hope of getting to know the Lord Jesus Christ as a friend if you don't know him before you die. You have no hope of coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as a friend if he appears in clouds tonight. Unless you know him before he comes. The time to know him is now. And he is on duty 24 hours a day to receive you. And he does it because he loves you. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord God of heaven and earth, we pray and ask that we may know that love which thou dost have for thine own. And we pray that each and every one of us will have our eyes and our hearts open so that we will close in with the Lord Jesus Christ this very evening. We see thine own words speaking to us around us every single day. People being called away from this earth. O oh Lord, we pray that we would be able to gain thee as our friend. So when thou dost come to judge the world, that we will be standing in tiptoe, excited, looking to catch a glimpse of somebody we love. Remember us, we pray thee. We give thee thanks for the love that thou dost have for us. And we ask that thou wouldst go with us wherever thou dost be. For Christ's sake, amen.